Uh, good afternoon and welcome to another edition of One Amazing Experience. And I'm delighted today to be joined by Dan Gill, uh, founder and managing director of the Dine Group. Uh, Dine, winner of Katie's in 2018, hugely well-established uh, company uh, in Yorkshire. Uh, Dan, would you like to give us a bit more detail on, on Dine Group and uh, what your group consists of at the moment? Yeah, sure. Uh, I've, thank you very much for uh, inviting me to to join you today. Um, Dine, really, we we specialise in looking after event catering at uh, historic venues and um, probably slightly unusual spaces. And we tend to work with with the owners to actually manage those venues as well. So everything from marketing, sales, and then obviously the full operation that goes with that, along with the, the building management, the whole lot. So we have this kind of weird expertise in, in buildings that are several hundred years old and, and how to work in them and, and what to sell and perhaps what not to sell as well. Um, so that, that's how we spend our time up here. And the, the, the other side of the business, we do a little bit of, of retail catering and um, sort of cafes and so on. But actually, the, the other part is what you can see behind me, which is Dine Delivered. Um, which is not a reaction to the current circumstances so much as um, something we launched in 2017. So, Yes, no, I saw that. Well, we'll come on to that. It was very preemptive of you to do so, may I say. <laughs> it certainly helped, I'm sure, in the last year. Uh, but thank you. Uh, so one of my experiences, obviously, go through a party of your choice. And our party can be any event. It can be a private party, birthday, celebration, industry celebration for coming out of the pandemic, whatever you'd like it to be. Um, we'll go through your venue, how it'll look and feel, music you'll be having, drinks you'll be serving, food you'll be serving, which I'm sure will be amazing, uh, entertainment of choice, a celebrity if you'd like to have one, uh, your first dance track if you are having dancing, yep. uh, your big departure, which obviously often, quite often in large country estates is, is a real wow as people leave, and uh, a gift to your guests, uh, which can be something physical or just a gesture or whatever you would like it to be. Um, so to start us off, Dan, um, what will your party be? What occasion will it be? And, and where will you be holding it? Well, I think the party will be a, a thank you to all of our clients over the years. And I, I would like to hold it at Versailles. So my modern. Oh, amazing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and do you, do you have affiliations with Versailles? Have you been there? Have you worked there? Do you know, we, we had our 21st uh, anniversary, dying 21st anniversary, and I inquired about uh, having a reception in the Hall of Mirrors for about 30 people and then quickly backed off. So uh, <laughs> and we, we actually had dinner there. Actually, last year, we managed to sneak in a week, uh, sort of did a driving tour of France and went to the uh, went to the Ducasse restaurant there, which was really nice, actually. Amazing. Amazing. Well, uh, there is no budget worries on this event. You can spend what you like. So you can take Versailles, the Hall of Mirrors, if you like. Uh, and you're, you're the second person to have their party at the Hall of Mirrors in Versailles. It's obviously a very, very special venue. Yeah. It's obviously where the Versailles Agreement was signed. End of the World War One was actually in that room as well. Uh, so it's, it's definitely a, a beautiful historic building. And uh, how many guests do you think you'll be having, Dan? I'm a fan of around 60. 60. Yeah. Keep it close and personal. Yeah. Excellent. And uh, will you be uh, in fitting with the venue? Will you be having it as a, as a black tie or uh, any other attire that you'll be wearing? Yeah. Well, I'm actually a fan of, of, um, of, of sort of ball gowns. I think you have to go for that, which I suppose means black tie for men on the whole. And I think we'll go crystal and candles as, as the theme. Lots of it. Um, Sort of, I, I reckon, I don't know, I think we go for like heavy damasks, 
maybe in gold or, or burgundy, um, maybe um, a light sort of royal blue. Um, yeah, along those lines. Yeah, fantastic. And uh, that, that kind of neatly leads me on to because the first time I think I had the pleasure of, of meeting you was when you worked at Mustard Catering back in, in, in your London days. <laughs> so you, you, you first of all, you know, to start with, you, you went to Edinburgh University. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. And uh, did you know when you went to Edinburgh, because I don't believe you were studying events and hospitality, but did you know, was, was, did you have a, a background in terms of working in it or family background? What led you to it? Yeah, it's, I mean, I studied German and European studies at Edinburgh, uh, which um, in a way I, I studied it 20 years too early. Um, would have been nice to have a bit more uh, sort of up to date knowledge now. But um, it, then we, we, that's what I was studying. And my dad and mum ran a Michelin style restaurant uh, for 40 years. And that's how I, I guess you realize after a while that everything around you has been food and service. And from a very early age, you know, working in pot wash, glass wash, all, all the different things that you do. And you sort of actually vacuum up more knowledge than you realize. So it became very apparent to me that I wasn't going to be an academic um, in any way, shape or form and have the opportunity to go and work uh, for Leafs to begin with in London. So, yeah. Amazing. Where was your where was your parents restaurant? So it was called Pool Court. Uh, so Pool Court was in Leeds in Yorkshire. Well, started in Pool and Wharfdale. And um, they're now happily retired in southwest France, which uh, having seen all the hours they do or, or did, I think they've richly deserved. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, I assume obviously this was back in the 80s, 70s, 80s that they had a Michelin star. Yeah. So he started in 66. And I think, that, yeah, I yeah. think you're right. They got the first star beginning of the 80s ish, I think. Amazing. Yeah. I mean, it must have stood out at the time. I, I can't imagine there's that many Michelin starred well, restaurants in. Funnily enough, 20 miles down the road was the Box Street, which at the time I think had, it was one of the first in the UK to get two or three. So you, you had people like Shirley Bassey flying in and all sorts. Um, so interestingly, he had, he had a very fierce competitor, um, you know, Stone's Throwaway. Yeah. Well, they, they always say, don't they, if you're going to open a fresh French, French restaurant, open it opposite another French restaurant because it obviously shows us a demand for it. So it sounds like a sensible thing to do. You drive each other forward as well, don't you? If you have I think that was very much what happened, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Excellent. So then you, as you say, you went down, you worked in London at, at Leith's. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it was an interesting post that it was just before we was bought by Sodexo. And actually, for me, uh, the interesting thing was to see all the different things that Leeds had developed to do. So, for example, the contract they had at Queen Elizabeth Conference Centre, uh, I remember going and working there as a trainee chef. Um, everything was done from scratch and then equally working as a trainee event manager in the events and parties division. And very soon, and about you, but one of the things about working in London was all the things you got to see that even though you're working and very often unloading vans or, or trying to find the last member of staff that was meant to be turning up to meet you or whatever, actually you got to see some amazing places and, and, and amazing things. Yeah. No, I agree completely. Obviously, I, my history, I worked Natural History Museum and before that at Madame Two Swords. Yeah. Um, and in five-star hotels. And yes, you, you get to see and, and obviously through... 21 years of off to work it's been amazing yeah. it's taken me to some 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 very extreme places as well may i say uh, 
Ashgabat in Turkmenistan stands out as one of those, but uh, <laughs> that's another story. Uh, and uh, and from then you went to work uh, for very esteemed in terms of Masticator, obviously uh, Glyn, I believe he was, who was the, the, the managing director and founder. And uh, Mustard were renowned for doing their, I guess, high society and royal events, would be fair to say. Yeah, I mean, it, it was spectacular. So the first week I, I was there, um, I worked 100 hours as a porter. And myself and my now wife, she was working at Pied de Terre restaurant in London. And um, I got back home on the Sunday. And bearing in mind, working in restaurants isn't easy. Um, uh, I sort of slumped onto the sofa, um, having worked literally a solid week, and said, oh, I, I can't go back. I can't, I can't do that again. Um, spectacular <laughs> party and uh, that, that week. And actually, as time went on, when you started to understand uh, how how everything worked and what Glyn was trying to achieve and how actually he interpreted everything in such minute detail and such careful detail with with such flair for his clients, then I think that produced its own energy. And in fairness, I, I didn't end up doing another 100-hour week, so it kind of got easier after that. <laughs> and, what, and as you say, I mean, I guess you've touched on a few points there, but why would you say Mustard really stood out at that time? I think... Every organization, and I think particularly something that relies on uh, a creative end product, so food, you know, the way that a party is designed, is lit, the way that the tables look, but also the way the staff look, the way something feels, even the way it might smell as you come in, the whole setting actually has to be driven um, very, very, uh, with a great degree of energy and with a very clear vision. And that's what Glyn had and the people around him that were willing to work so hard to help him fulfill that. Uh, you know, and the interesting thing is it's kind of obvious, but it cuts across from the guys that were working in pot wash at 3 a.m. when we were unloading uh, vans and lorries to the chefs, uh, hand-making everything. And actually, in a business like that, you've got the person or the people at the top who are providing the sort of creative direction and the focus but also everybody has to be willing to carry that. There's a great deal of discretionary effort, I think, required in, in an enterprise like that. Yeah, most definitely. I agree. It was, and it was uh, whenever a mustard used to arrive and you, you would see the the, uh, the attention to detail and you had you had proper butlers. I mean, it was yeah. the, the guys knew, knew what they were doing. They were all in full morning suits and it was uh, absolutely pristine in terms of what you did. And uh um, people often have asked me what my favorite food is and uh, mustard used to do a peach cobbler which uh, yeah. I still yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, I i have it hasn't been beaten if i'm being honest but there we <laughs> fantastic I remember uh, yeah um fantastic so uh but for your party dan obviously we are at, at versailles we are uh, as you say we are it's uh it's uh, uh candelabras and mirrors and lots of glitter and 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 beautiful damask cloths that you've said any other look and feel to it all as people arrive well i think we're going to have staff in it as footmen that's the obvious thing to do and i think there's something really nice about that um i think that we're going to be at a long table as well so a long table almost stretches as far as the eye can see and laden with everything from the fruits the crystal Baccarat would be nice, but I might have to be a bit more realistic. And, um, you know, some beautiful flowers in silver, silver beakers, 
So that just to create that richness, that depth of feel that you get with, with, with the candles against all the crystal, I just think that creates such a wow factor as people come into the room. We've been lucky enough to do it, all but granted not at the side a few times for our clients. And it, it just, it's such a great site as people come in and they find their place. And then in terms of, you talked about butlers actually with the footlights, so so important to have that the right level of service. I'd probably go for one per six, depending on the on the symmetry of the table, obviously, um, and, and really put on a good a good show. Yeah, amazing service, I'm sure. And uh, would you have music as people arrive? Yeah, I mean, I think at the reception, I'd go for something like. There's an amazing album. I don't know if you've ever heard it. Uh, Nina Simone songs, but um, reworked by um, somebody called DJ Maestro which sounds awful, but actually it's a really good album to start to party off. I haven't heard of it, but I will be looking it up. No, yeah. <laughs> uh, drinks when people arrive? Got to be Paul Roger. Paul Roger? Yeah. Excellent. And uh, will you be doing any cocktails? No. No, fair enough. Fair enough. Keep it simple. I like it. <laughs> uh, canapes? Ooh, canapes. Okay. So I always think canapes are the things that you do when you can't fit... Uh, when you wouldn't necessarily want to produce it for 60, 100 people at the same time. So I'd, I'd be a great fan of things like perhaps a little uh, pan-fried scallop uh, with a little black pudding bonbon maybe. Uh, with a You could do it with like a smoky bacon and tomato crumb. And um, I, would, I would perhaps uh, treat us to a little bit of foie gras. Um, and, and you can either do that pan-fried I might be tempted to do a slightly more classical version with um, with uh, with just a little bit of muscat jelly and uh, a toasted croute, sort of simple, and uh, obviously a bit of uh, a bit of sea salt, and then I think um, I don't know something light as well. So maybe a bit of shaved radish with a julienne of vegetables through there, and a nice um, tiny little a dressing, maybe a Thai dressing with a bit of spice through it. So you get the lightness, but a bit, a bit of depth of flavour there. Um, yeah, a few bits and bobs like that. Sounds amazing. Uh, so we've got pan-fried scallops, foie gras, and then some shaved, shaved radish. Mm -hmm. In its simplest form, obviously, you gave it much better description than me. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> and so you uh, obviously, when you um, you obviously came as you say. So your parents had a restaurant background. So you you also. They, they had their own business, so you were you were the son of a, a business owner, and then you uh, you obviously then worked with other companies. So, was it always your intention to start your your own company? I think you realise that um, I came to the point where I realised I would be a fairly catastrophic employee. Okay. Probably the it was probably the control freak in me. You know, it always amuses me when people say well, you're a bit of a control freak uh, at work, and it's like, well, yeah, I'm an event manager, so. Generally regarded as being a fairly important characteristic, the sort of whacked out smoking hippie, you know, is not necessarily the right uh, the right uh, person to be running events. So yeah, I, I realised that actually I wanted to 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 have the opportunity to try and run my own business. Yeah, yeah. And did you did was your first consideration restaurant wise, or did you obviously are you been in, in engaged with delivering events for? three years or whatever it was in London. So you just decide events is the way forward. Well, for me, it was, you know, I saw, so the skill in a restaurant to me is to be able to work in the same environment and make sure that every person that walks through the door 
regardless of expectations, which by the way, you don't have an awful lot of opportunities to measure in advance, still has a really good experience. And I much prefer the, the dialogue that we get to have with our clients and events. Actually, you can understand in minute detail how they want things to look and feel and what they want to see and hear on the day. And you can translate that and you just don't have that luxury in events. Uh, sorry, in restaurants, you can't, you know, you, you set out your stall and you hope that it's going to be good and you make sure it's as good as it can be. It doesn't mean it's necessarily going to represent a great experience to the, to the 10th person that walks through the door. And I, I just love events because to me, every, everything, you know, actually for me, you could run an event where you might have been building on site for three weeks. People are there for eight hours and, you know, I've been there, I've flipped the generators off and that's the end of a £250,000 party or something in it. There's something very special about that. Yeah, yeah, no, there is. There is, I agree. It's, it's a very much has, it has a one-off nature. Um, a gentleman called Paul Jackson, he's the managing director of, of Searcy's, and he, he was talking, his, his grounding was a, a Clifton House hotel, yeah. and he was saying the important thing there was being able to preemptively guess what, as your guests come in, what they want. So actually telling them what they want rather than them telling you what they want. Um, but it is much harder, as you say, whereas at events, you actually get to ask them, what do you want? So, yeah. And how do you see it? And then guide them through it and, and make sure we deliver on it. Uh, so that's cool. Um, and you've obviously, I mean, in your time, you say you mentioned 21 years of, of dine. I mean, did you did you have a vision at the beginning of how you saw it going? Uh, and do you feel that you've sort of, your vision has played out, obviously, ex- excluding the last year, may I say, um, or, or at the time? Has it surpassed it, or do you feel that you've got a long way to go yet, Dan? I think it changes, is the truth. I, I think that there are people that have the sort of mental acuity where they can see five years, ten years ahead and, and create a plan and stick to it. That's not my skill. So my skill is to understand what looks good to the client, see the opportunities, deliver something, and build from there. And I would have said, if you'd asked me what I expected, and we bought a sandwich company, and I spent the first year driving a Nissan van around Leeds selling sandwiches for £2.20 or whatever it was. Um, and, and ultimately, by the way, actually, I, I'm a great believer that anybody's, you know, if somebody pays you £2.20 for a sandwich, just make sure it's a decent sandwich. Yeah, yeah. You know, I, I'm a strong believer. We've got clients that will save several years to spend 6000 on a wedding. And we've got clients who can write a check and spend, you know, six figure sums to, to have a, a massive party. And to me, actually, you both are equally important. Uh, I think it's as simple as the same attitude of mind. You know, you're still going to both of the same professional standard. Clearly, one is going to be much more complex uh, than the other, but it's the same attitude. And, you know, to, uh, to that extent, I think I think that would have been how I saw things back then is it we just had to do a, a good job and then see opportunities and try and and try and build on them as, as they came along yeah 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 because your your growth is i mean obviously your growth I'm, i believe i'm correct in saying has 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 been organic in terms of what you've done yeah. um you obviously you haven't grown through acquisition um it's been a case of we're doing this we're going to do it well and then from that it'll lead to doing x yeah because yeah. Um, and I'm sure many people may, may or may not have heard of you. Obviously, you, there's, there's Rise Hall, which is a very interesting yeah. part of your business, yeah. I imagine. Um, so it was uh, originally bought by Sarah Beanie, is that correct? And she refurbished it? Yeah. So they bought it right in the early in the early noughties. 
and we got involved. We catered a wedding in Lincolnshire where um, great guys, actually, they, they'd been on one of her shows um, and she was a guest. And then we got invited to go and see Rise in about 2010 and work with Sarah and Graham really closely on, on the opening of it as a, as a wedding venue. Sure. And then from that, it led you because you bought it in 2019. Is that right? Yeah, it's a strange one, really. So we, we started off by doing the, the sort of mobilization with them, being the caterer. And then as, as with all things, and they added other caterers in, uh, different managers where, you know, came and went. And I think what's really fascinating to me about venues like Rise is actually, as with any job, there's so much to know. You know, how do you market it? How do you sell it? How do you operate it? How do you add value for each client? And when you then bolt up, I mean, it's, it's big enough when you're going to do the hospitality for, for you know, a catered hospitality for somebody, but when you bolt on the management of a 200-odd-year-old house. Um, so for me, but I like that because it becomes a new challenge and it, it allows us to add depth to our service. So, you know, looking at the bedrooms, uh, how do the bedrooms look? Are the beds big enough? Uh, are the are the pillows right? You know, all of that detail working back. If you can imagine that, you know, with some of our events, by the time you finished, actually the catering is the least of it. So buying Rise in 2019, we just saw as a one-off opportunity um, to, to take that on. We previously leased other venues, but yeah, just to, 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 to own something that everything, you every, every hour you spent on it and every penny you spent on it, ultimately you were adding to your own asset. Was, was was yeah it was a very tempting um, opportunity i'm sure for the, for the sake of our listeners can you give us like can you paint the picture of rice hall yeah sure i mean we're intimately acquainted with it particularly this year because we've been we've been spending a lot down in in doing quite a lot of refurbishment there so really just looking at it and and the way that we look at a refurbishment is is going through as if we were the client and I think it's the only way, you know, when you've been in a building for so long, you, you have to really just look at fresh eyes, part of the car, right, do I know where I'm going? Who's going to greet me? What does the hallway look like? Is there any music? Should there be any music? You know, how do I take people to the rooms? What what route do you take to each bedroom? And is there a better route in terms of the experience of arriving there? Um, where are guests going to congregate for their evening drinks on the first night? So really looking at everything and thinking, right, now I'm sat here, but that lamp's in my eye. Or I can't dim it, but I need to because it's 10 o'clock at night. And actually my expectation of what it looks like at 4 o'clock when I'm checking in and having afternoon tea in here is very different to when I'm having a glass of brandy at 11 o'clock. And it's really getting into that because, again, for me, that's how you deliver value for people and a really memorable experience is, is understanding how they're going to use the building and making sure it works for them. Um, yeah, 90, sorry, sorry, but it's a 96 yeah, daily home uh, in 30 acres uh, with various outbuildings, which I hope we will find use for in, in, in the long term. But I'm sure you are focusing on the core experience, I think, is the is, is the first thing to do. Yeah. Is it grade one listed? So grade two star. Grade two star. OK, so you still have to be fairly controlled on what you can do. It's interesting though because it's honestly second nature to us now. Yeah, we, we it's all it's kind of all we've done is worked in buildings like this for, for for the past twenty years almost. So you 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 just kind of get to understand it. It's what you do. You know, in the same way that for you when you're working in a museum, you know that you're never going to have gas. You know that you're not going to have boilers there. Um, yeah. You know, and any, you know that you're not going to use fat fries. It becomes automatic 
it, what, how you produce a product for people with without creating any wear and tear on the building itself. Yeah. And I believe your wife's involved with the hall, is that right? She is. Yes, thank goodness. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so it works well. Is that a husband wife team? <laughs> well, it is. Yeah, I mean, this is for rise because we we put a bit of our pension into it as well. So it, obviously, it had to be very much a, a sort of, you know, I think this is a great idea. But if you don't, then then let's not do it. But actually, for Helen, it's really interesting because she won't be constrained so much by some of the operational uh, impact. It's very interesting. We we're having a discussion the other day about what furniture goes in the staircase hallway. And should it be um, not sofas, but, you know, and I said, look, actually, that's a bad area because I'm trying to move people through the building at a wedding. And I, I don't particularly want sofas there because it, it doesn't work for me operationally. So you get that kind of and it's nice to have somebody who's more concerned about one than the other. I think it, it makes for, for really, a really good blend um, of focus. So it's it's been invaluable actually this last this last two years and Helen does all the marketing for Rise as well. So we have a marketing team at Dine, but then it's all as you know it's about creating content for each individual location. So that's that's what Helen really focuses on at Rise. Wonderful. Uh, well, I'm, I'm sure it will go on to be an ever greater success. Um, it's uh, 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 we're talking about great successes. Obviously, uh, your your party will be a great success. Um, we are at Versailles. Um, people have, have been uh, greeted with Paul Roger and some uh, tunes from uh, DJ Maestro and Nina Simone. Yeah, uh, We've had scallops, we've had foie gras, we've had some, sh some shaved radish. Um, so I suppose going on to the main event in terms of the, the main meal, will you be having a three-course meal, Dan, or something different? No, I think there we'll go three-course. You can probably tell them a, a tad traditional when it comes to these things. Uh, <laughs> yeah, so I think, listen, I think we're going to start... I reckon we do a little um, a mini fillet of, uh, of saffron poached cod. I think maybe we do a little uh, tiny smoked cod, uh, smoked salt cod, uh, fish balls with a fine crumb on them, and just a, like a simple white wine and butter emulsion, maybe concassed tomatoes, just to get a bit of colour in there. Should be a good start. Amazing. And for your main cause? Mm. Well... It's me. I'm a middle-aged man, so I'm going to be going beef. But I'd like—I'd like to do. I think we'd serve a fillet, braised shin of beef, underneath. So fillet of beef, and then underneath a little bit of a treat, braised shin of beef, which we can just break a little bit of foie gras into, set, and then just put underneath the fillet just towards service, so that so that it just warms gently, just has a little bit of richness. So I'd probably, again, I'll probably head in that direction. Um, and. Uh... The all-important dessert. So no concession to lightness here in this meal, other than maybe. The <laughs> I reckon we're going to go grand marnier souffle. Full of tradition, just. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Was your uh, was your parents' restaurant was it traditional French, or was it? Oh, all sorts over the years, all sorts. Yeah. You know, uh, just just a whole range of things that uh, that ultimately. Um, you know, people um, end up uh, doing, you know, over the years through the 60s, 70s, 80s and 90s. But I guess you know yourself, actually, that the, the, there are really a very limited number of things that sell. I think there are always the things on the periphery that people are interested in and they might draw them in when they see them on the menu. But in reality, it's about, for me, providing uh, interesting twists 
on food that, that can easily be eaten by most of your guests. So it shouldn't be frightening. It shouldn't require them to concentrate on the food rather than the conversation. But equally, what we always want when we when we do a menu is for people to leave and go, do you know what, that was the best meal I've had at a wedding or that's, that's kind of what we aim for, really. Yeah. yeah. And have you have you seen over the over the twenty years have you seen tastes change in terms of of what people want at their weddings? Yeah, very much so. It's interesting and, and subtle. I mean, speaking of beef, um, you know what used to be medium rare, I think would now be described by most as as well done, or you know certainly medium well. And you know the sort of beef that people expect to eat now, if you just served that twenty years ago, it all been sent back to the kitchen. So that kind of thing is interesting. The fact that people drink more red now than white. Used to, you know, I was ordering an event 25 years ago at Leeds, probably longer. Don't quote me. Anyway, however long ago it was, I don't want to do the maths. But, but you know, it would always be two-thirds white, one-third red. And then it became, you know, over the years became 50-50. So I think there are these kind of subtle uh, transitions over time. Fair enough. Uh, Leeds, neatly on, would you, do you have um, wines that you would like to be served with your meal? Oh, well, yes, I would. I think we'll go for a um, a relatively light white burgundy, uh, macaroni shizzy, something like that with a cod. And with the beef, um, hmm, wow, king of subtlety. Mind you, no, hang on. No, we can't have that because we're in France. That, that is an interesting one. Well, why don't we go with um, something like um, Chateau Bataille? That'd be all right, wouldn't it? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. 2005, something like that. <laughs> I haven't been fortunate enough to uh, to try any of the reasons, I'm sad to say, so I don't, I don't actually know. But let's do, yeah, let's go with 2005. Sounds great. <laughs> Excellent. Uh, some beautiful wines for your meal. That's cool. Um, and uh, you mentioned it at the beginning, um, one of the things, obviously, within the dine group, you have uh, you dine at the mansion and you dine, dine events and then you dine delivered, which, as you said, you started in 2017 or 2018? Yeah, seven. Yeah. 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 Um, and uh, that was obviously with a lot of foresight at the time in terms of what was coming around the corner. But uh, with, so that's obviously delivery of your product to people's homes. Is that correct? Yes, homes or offices, or but yeah, homes at the moment. Yeah, 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 yeah. And has that gone well for you? Is it? Um, and then during the during the pandemic, have you seen a, a large increase in the requirements for that? Is it been has it been something which has been, I suppose, a good thing potentially, which has come out of the pandemic? Yes, I think so. We we actually developed Dine Deliver because we started to get calls from clients, you know, corporate and private clients alike. And, and it, what was happening was was essentially that people were able to book a, a marquee or, you know, in, in an office, they were able to book uh, nibbles from Waitrose or M&S or wherever. But they very soon found that if the parameters for the event changed, you know, all of a sudden the chairman was coming and they needed glasses and service, they couldn't they couldn't bolt that on. It wasn't fit for purpose all of a sudden. And the same at home where people had booked the local pub and they booked the teepee, but nobody had worked out who was going to do the tablecloths. So we looked at this and said, well, hang on, I, I can book a holiday online. I can book a tour guide in Czechoslovakia uh, online and bolt it on. I can upgrade my flights as and when, you know, over the, the sort of nine months or six months I have long, I've booked my holiday over. 
So actually, why isn't there a product in hospitality that allows people to book something that, as far as they're concerned, is what they want at the time of purchase? And then as things, if they do get more complex, then they can add services on. So they can add staff on, they can add equipment on, and so on and so forth. And actually, something that asks them a few simple questions about what kind of food do you like? What format are you having? Is it a stand-up party? Is it formal? Is it just casual and relaxed? You know, what do you want? And then provide them a proactive menu on the screen. Because the only other experience available at the time was just plowing through great long lists of products and trying to work out, oh God, you know, I've got 30 people. How many, how many of those do I need? What do I feed the vegan? You know, and our site does all of that. So, you know, once you've got your menu sorted, you then put in names and, and dietary requirements and allergies of any guests it will give you an equivalent menu automatically for them. And, you know, people can check out in under in under two minutes. So it was about building something that was that, that, that did a lot of the uh, hard work for clients, really. Yeah. Easy, easier experience. Yeah. And, uh, and have you, I mean, you, you mentioned at the beginning that people say you're a bit of a control freak at work. <laughs> so uh, how is that in terms of dying delivered have you been have you, have you been able to i suppose you have to in some degree let go in terms of you can't guarantee how it's presented on a plate well, it's very interesting actually because if you look at all the plethora of things that have been developed this year and we've had some brilliant ones at home absolutely you know some great products but really very interesting the degree of discretion that's required to finish them successfully um is 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 far greater than the instructions allow for so you can tell somebody to to take a little you know, half centimeter bit of, of foie gras and pan fry it but actually anybody that knows anything knows that that's a lot harder than it sounds if you want to get it right and not see it dissolve in the pan so the, the trick with our product is saying well hang on a minute this is really about making sure that when it comes out of the box it looks good and also presents a really easy experience and i think there's something about event catering where you're kind of already used to that you know you don't turn up at the history museum and not have your beef seared or not have your broccoli blanched or you know it's done to the to the furthest point you can get it without compromising quality and for us that that's kind of what made it easy to understand that if we take the beef we sear it it goes in a foil so that when it comes out, all they do is bring it to room temperature, put it in the oven. And this year we've been focusing on menus where we've been doing like virtual events. And we spend quite a lot of time with clients doing dress rehearsals online. Oh, wow. We've learned so much with that. So not just the virtual tasting, but really pushing clients to test the technology they're going to rely on for their event. And what we get out of that is an understanding, well, hang on a minute. Now I've, I've seen that somebody's got a vegan meal and a beef meal in the same box. So those need to cook at the same temperature for the same time. We'd already got the temperature right. Obviously, it's a fairly obvious one. But actually, the um, butternut squash fondant for the vegan main course needs to cook for the same length of time as the beef. You can't have a situation where somebody's got to stand up all the time. you know. So yeah, yeah. one of our three-course meals, we've got down to four actions for three courses in total. Wow. And I think it's, it, that's what we're really working on, is making very high quality out of the box, have you know, an impressive experience but minimal intervention for clients yeah. yeah and do you think that it'll uh it'll breed a greater appreciation of of what you do when they're delivering events and uh and yeah do you, do you see it as a um, i guess it, creating more opportunities or greater market for you for a event delivery as well yeah 
I think the question that I ask myself is how clients want to buy things. You know, there's, there's no use saying, well, the office is open from 9 to 5.30. Well, actually, our clients want to speak to somebody at 7.38 when they get home from work. So we have to facilitate that. And it's the same with Dine Delivered. You know, for me, I have to figure out how people want to buy things. And if I if I can do that and I, I can create a sustainable business and, and a good product with it, then you take it forward from there. Uh, I, I think that there are, there are so many different things you can apply this to. So... For me, for venues, for example, who don't have, uh, who might want to do smaller ceremonies and might just want canapes, you know, we do a whole range of canapes that come on really nice uh, pressed palm leaf platters, for example, ready to serve. So that actually enables a venue to do a really nice canapé reception, but without any overhead, without any fixed cost, and in turn increase yeah. their sales. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. ceremony only is, it can be actually worth quite a lot of money uh, for a venue. So there are so many examples of holiday cottages where actually we send a larder box with the kids' meals, something easy to whack in the oven when you arrive, like a tagine or a lasagna or whatever, and we do them in enamel dishes so they're, they're ready to go. And then the next day you've got your celebration meal and your breakfast box. So there, there's so many different ways you can apply it. Um, yeah. yeah. Well, I, I, I would guess this summer, as we are all staycationing, that'll be a greater opportunity um, for you. Are you seeing greater demand at the moment for that? We haven't made a marketing push into that because we we touch wood become so busy at virtual events at the moment that we just want to we want to just focus on that right now. I am developing um, a whole range of like bento box style uh, products, and again that's actually focused on the workplace market. So it's focused on being able to send to 200 employees, you know, some in the office, some at home, wherever they are. So there's a common experience for people to enjoy. But again, something that looks great. It's not a hamper. It's certainly not a kit, but it looks great when it arrives and is very easy and facilitates a conversation or, or, or an, an event rather than uh, becomes a sort of part obstruction to it. We've got the products for holiday cottages, but I, I think we're going to focus on, on the corporate side for now. Sure. You obviously keep coming up with, with new ideas, Dan. I mean, where does, where does your inspiration come from? Uh, and uh, I, I always ask the question as to who's inspired you most in the industry. Oh, I think originally uh, inspiration from the likes of Glyn, Prue Leith, so many people I, I work with, my own mum and dad, the people that work for them. And as I've gone along, actually, there are two very simple things. Really, it's clients. And I find some of the most enjoyable clients, people say clients are demanding, but actually the most enjoyable clients are things that you learn things from. Yeah. I don't mind actually being put through the mill a bit if, if I've then learned something. I don't want somebody to be just, you know, unpleasant, but sometimes clients that will really put you to task, you'll learn stuff. And I love that because that's that becomes a two-way relationship. I think also uh, really, we and it sounds a bit, it, it's a genuine thing. It sounds a bit cliche, but we will take inspiration from the corporates we work for, understanding their brand, understanding what the CEO is going to hate when they sit down, understanding what's important to their clients. Why are they having the event? And you draw stuff from that and really get your head around it and then write menus and and look at how the event should, should flow from there, really. Um, you know, I was speaking to clients uh, later on today and... You know, I, I, whether I, was, I don't run client files normally, 
I will work with event managers with some clients just to really have that conversation, understand what it is that they want to see on the day. And I think you then just take inspiration and, and look at things. And yeah, sometimes I turf out Raymond Blanc's books or Charlie Trotter's books or you know, so much these days, isn't that? You can flood yourself with, with things sometimes. So. Yeah. No, that's great. I, I, I agree with you. I think you can learn learn lots from your from your clients. <laughs> um, and I mean, you, you mentioned it there. Obviously, you, you don't have necessarily that many um, uh, file holding in terms of with clients, and I completely understand that. So you're, you're running your business, and I know the difficulties from my own side in terms of making sure that external focus is there, and it's not all in internal looking. Yeah. I mean, how do you how do you find the balance to do that? Well, I'm pretty fortunate actually because there's there's a team that I work with that I've worked with I mean, my executive chef's been with us since 2009 uh, Matt Jones is our MD has been with us uh, on and off since 2000 and well, he'd probably kill me for this but let's just say around 2003 um, sure. left here you know to do lots of things travel become a recruitment consultant came back about 12 years ago and has, has worked his way into the MD role uh, Craig Squelch who's head of events Craig being general manager at two or three hotels so a small team, but what we tend to do is hire senior. So people who really know their stuff. And then yep. we all just, we use actually a system called Traction. I don't know if you've ever heard of it, but we, we, we use that and, and just set our rocks and, and get on with our own jobs. And um, it works, works pretty well most days. Excellent. And that gives you more time to, to think about your party, which is good. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, so, uh, while your guests are having their meal, um, or afterwards, however you would like to play it, uh, what entertainment would you have for them? Oh, well, I think there's two ways. I think you either go. One of the things I love most, uh, we did a Regency event at a beautiful venue called Brown Park. Um, great big long table, beautiful damask linens, very similar to, to, what I, to what I said here, but the client wanted something fun for the end. So a great guy that we work with, uh, came and bought a, a mock-top guillotine. Perhaps you shouldn't do that at Versailles, by the way, just <laughs> terribly well. So he had some great fun. And, you know, the, 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 the client had said to him the sort of people he wants to interact with and, and what, their, what their crimes were and how they were going to be punished. So that was brilliant. For me, I'd probably go a bit more dramatic. So I, I'd probably get people playing violin on the table, maybe a few performers emerge from the, the, um, the staff team. And then maybe a sort of full-on um, reveal uh, stage appears at the end of the uh, at the end of the room. Maybe I think that kind of thing probably appealed to me a bit more. Cool. What would be so? What would be on the stage when it, when the stage is revealed? It's going to be. That's a good question. You know, this is a bit random. One of our clients a few years ago had Deacon Blue. I I, I really like them. I thought they they actually went down really well. But for me, I would always have a mix of a, D, a really good DJ. If you're going to have a live performer or band on stage, you've got to have a DJ as well because you've got to keep it going the whole time. So I think you can react. If you've got a DJ, you can react to how things are going, which if you've got a fixed act, sometimes I think you can tie your hands a bit. So there'd definitely be a good DJ out there as well. All sounds good to me, and it leads neatly on to, to what your first dance track would be. Ooh, right. So I'm going to go for something uh, something from Pete Tong from Classic Ibiza. Yeah, yeah. That's what I listen to a lot. Well, when I get it's a, it's a good album. I like it a lot. 
a killer on there, isn't it? By Seal, he yeah. always does not Seal. Yeah, no, Seal does do it. Yes, there's all, there's also. It's a, I think it's a great album. I just love it. But maybe I'm showing my age a bit now. <laughs> not at all. Not at all. It's your party. You're allowed to do as you like. It's not a problem. And uh, you uh, you're allowed a celebrity there as well. Would you like a celebrity at your party? Mm. Not really. No. No, fair enough. <laughs> it's fair enough. When you've got Deacon Blue, what you could have, you could have Pete Tong DJing, couldn't you, I guess? Yeah, actually, budget, no option. Just have to choose no, Pete exactly. Fine, <laughs> that's a great idea. Great idea. <laughs> yeah, that's going to keep everyone happy. It's going to be a long night as well, by, by the sounds of things, if you've got those two performing. Um, do, you, do you have a, an abiding best memory from your time in the industry so far, obviously? I do actually, yeah. Um, the the high the highlight for me, although very often I think these things you don't realise when you're younger that they the, the significance of certain things. So I was lucky with Leeds. We we had government hospitality contracts, and at sort of tender and very naive age of 22, 23, I was walking through the door of number eleven, number ten, with my little briefcase, um, and I was only there to run the event. And actually, the, there was a system there where you, where you had to have a green room. So I, I was uh, forced, it was dreadful really, to eat a meal with one of the civil servants, uh, which I guess was a, a security protocol thing. So that was really interesting. And um, you see all sorts then. But equally, um, my, my, my strongest memory is one with Mustard, where we did an event at Number One London, and um, Nelson Mandela was the, the guest of, of honour. And he came up the stairs, these people had paid £10,000 a ticket, something like that. And there was a U-shaped table, horseshoe table, I, I seem to recall, and all the butlers were stood in position, uh, probably one by two on an event like that, I would think. I don't think you could even achieve that these days. But anyway, it was, let's say there was one by two, two butlers at this, at this event. And the first thing that Mandela did when he came into the room was ignore all the guests and go around and shake the hand of every single member of staff in the room. Then <laughs> got to his position then acknowledge the guests and then things uh, unfolded from there. So, yeah, I shook hands with Nelson Mandela, which um, at the time I was pleased with, but I think as the years have gone past, it's, it stands out. Ever more pleased with. No, I do understand. It's, it, it, there's, there's certain people who have a certain aura about them, aren't there? Which, which stays with you. I've, I've had the pleasure of, of talking to the Queen at Buckingham Palace, which was very nice doing an event there. She was lovely. She is very small, as people would say. And uh, she came down before the garden parties to meet the staff. There's was eight of you who were chosen to meet her. And uh, she, she came out, she'd done her hair. So she was wearing a headscarf. It was, so she, she was wearing a headscarf and then she greets you and asks you about what your job is there and what you're doing. It, was, uh, it will live with me for many, for many years to come. <laughs> Interesting, the sheer discipline and hard work that's, that, that, that actually goes into making a decision to say hello to staff before each party, you know, just adding to an already extended workload. Completely. I agree with you. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's it, but it makes, as you say, it makes it makes a huge difference to the staff to feel that they're you know they're part of the occasion. For sure. Yeah. Um, and in terms of of dine, there's usually a a either a, a a time a winning of a contract or something which is sort of a, a stepping stone when you feel actually now I'm, I'm the business is established it's actually sustainable and it's it's going somewhere. Is there a time that you sort of uh, something that happened that made you feel that with dine? Yeah, I think interesting. Two, two, two examples. One, one was the first one. We, um, we made a call 
a guy I worked with, really good, really strong guy in the early years, uh, to a venue. There's a National Trust venue near Wakefield called Nostal Priory. Um, I'm thinking, well, we're not, we're not going to get that. You know, we haven't even been going a year. We get in the car and we, we sort of go up the drive and uh, massive, great stately home. And we speak to the gentleman that's the, the, the property manager there. And before the meeting had finished, we had the gig, exclusive contract, job done, something like 20 <laughs> existing weddings. So it's interesting. And what I would say to people looking at their own businesses, be clear about your product, do your homework, understand the other bits of the business. So do your homework on, on everything from finance to how you're going to run your teams, how, you know, all of that. Don't neglect that just because you know that, you know, the food and the service, you have to do the whole lot. But actually also believe you will you will get your break at some point something will come along that gives you that that sort of first big break yeah no it's a good message to people as you say um if you you need to be able to tell the story don't you you need to to let get people to buy into the story you need to be able to tell it but that story needs to be complete as to how you're actually going to operate the business as well as create this wonderful food yeah yeah, absolutely. Learn how to run a business, have, have an idea of how to plan it and, and, and how you're going to structure it and so on as well. Yeah. And do you have a, uh, obviously we have to sadly come to the end of your party at some point. You are, you are welcome to go on till, till, till late in the early morning, however you see it. Um, should you wish to have bacon sandwiches at, at two o'clock in the morning, you can of course do that as well before your guests depart. Um, but do you, do you have a big departure planned for your guests? Yeah, I think what we'll do, is we'll get people walking down the gardens as, as they go we'll have people uh, entertainers uh in in the gardens uh, light it beautifully so walk straight down towards the lake at the bottom we have some fireworks and we'll have boats and the boats can take people to the other side and then we'll have people chauffeured to the hotels from the other side of the of the lake something simple like that just to end on yeah, yeah, yeah. Lovely. Very, very romantic feel to it all. Or, or, or Regency, as you mentioned. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, would you have a gift for them to go with? I would say maybe some cake. Well, yes. Yeah, good one. Good. good one. <laughs> no, I, I, I don't know. I'm a believer. You know, you, you, a good party, you, you, I think the gift is is creating a memory and, and, and being a good host. Just put a lot of work into that. And that, that should be the gift, really. Yeah, fair enough. I'd say there will be some some very memorable, um, both food, drink, entertainment had at the party. Um, so thank you, Dan, very much for talking us through it. Uh, just to touch on as well, as we have gone through um, a pandemic year, um, I mean, has there been any learnings from you from it, either, I suppose, in terms of, I suppose, yourself, your team, or, or how... Um, you run your business? Well, it'll be interesting to ask the question now and then ask it in a year's time. Uh, for now, what I've really noticed is how when you've got the right people on board, they react no matter how severe the situation is. So the instincts of my MD in particular, Matt, and, and in fairness, all, all the senior management team was to say, look, we're going to retain you. So we we whilst other businesses were were making people redundant, the, the point in our minds as a senior management team was very clear that, look, no matter how, how long this goes on for, at the time we certainly didn't anticipate it being longer than three months. But, yeah. you know, even that seemed unimaginable. 
the, the key was to retain the resource that we needed to be able to deliver the standard that people had paid us perfectly good money to, 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 to deliver. So that was the first thing. And actually from that, the, the, the team have just reacted so well. And I think that's been the, not so much a learning, but it's been the one that the really strong positive. I think the other thing as well is with, with clients, do you know what? Actually, our clients have been fantastic. And, it, and, and whereas you need to have a policy that's consistent and transparent and, and, and treat everybody fairly, you should also be able to speak to people individually and understand what it is that you can do for them to, to release a particular issue. You shouldn't do that at the expense of another client or, or undermining what somebody else has, has, has agreed to. But you should always be willing to speak to clients because you, always, you're always going to learn something. There's always going to be something in the background that you'll just... It'll be the same generic issue, but there'll generally be a subtle twist on it that will sort of push your understanding forward. So, yeah, I'd, I'd say those two things. Yeah. No, I, I would agree. And, and one of the things you've basically been saying there is communication being so key in, in through this. And, you know, it's it's funny. Um, and I'm sorry, Dan, I'm not sure the, the size of your team, but I'm guessing it's probably similar or larger than mine. And it's uh, it's the the Chinese whispers that start happening. If you don't communicate clearly to people, they start having concerns and doubts as to what's happening. Yeah. Whereas quite often they're they're picking up on things that are, that haven't been said at all, or if they have, it's been purely while people have been discussing best ways forward rather than decisions being made. Um, so yeah, clear communication, honest communication, because as you're right, people will fill the rest in with with they'll be well. People are people are afraid, you know, and, and that's we all are. We all have been. You know, I'm just grateful I haven't had to go and work in hospital because then I would have been terrified. But but actually, people are people are afraid, and if you don't communicate with them and give them reassurance, and also be honest about where you can't uh, fill in blanks, then actually most people will appreciate that and they'll they'll understand that you've got their backs, and and in turn they'll have yours. Yeah. Yeah, I think there's, there's there's no harm in being honest and saying I don't know, um, which during this pandemic there's certainly been occasions. Where, yeah, for sure. Uh, will we be? Uh, I don't know. We'll see. <laughs> All we can do is react to what's in front of us and be as proactive as possible. Cool. Well, thank you very much, Tom. It's been an absolute pleasure. Uh, your party at Versailles uh, will be stunning. Um, we obviously have uh, people being uh, greeted with Paul Roger champagne. Uh, we have pan-fried scallops, foie gras, shaved rubbish um, in terms of canapes. We have beautiful salt cod fish balls. Um, and we have a fillet of beef on a braised shin of beef with foie gras running through it, yeah. I believe you. Yeah. yeah. And we have a, a Grand Marnier souffle as well for the guests as well. Um, uh, Macron Ligny, is that right in terms well, of your… Probably Macron Chizzy is, is, yeah. Chizzy, yeah. yeah. Uh, apologies and uh, uh your red wine was going to be chateau Bye. yeah chateau Bye. fantastic um we have music from deacon blue um and uh, pete tong is now being called up to to dj which is which is great news. good to me yeah yeah uh, and i guess we'll be be leaving via the gardens and boats and chauffeurs to their hotels for the night as well it's um it, it will leave certainly good memories for all, I'm sure. Uh, but thank you. It's been an absolute pleasure hearing about Dine and, and uh, your your career through it. And 
and the learnings that you've mentioned i'm sure will be very interesting to our listeners it's been an absolute pleasure thank you thank you very much thank you